This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to a Business Radio special presentation of Launchpad from CES in Las Vegas. Here again is your host, Rob Connybeer. Welcome back to a special edition of Launchpad on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Rob Connybeer. I'm a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, and we're broadcasting from the Toyota booth at CES in Las Vegas. I'm thrilled to welcome our next guest, Dominic Dobson. He is the co-founder and chief operating officer of VR Motion. Dominic, welcome to Launchpad, and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate you having me. So... We like to start our interviews by asking for the elevator pitch about person or the company. What's, what is VR Motion making? VR Motion makes uh, software for the automotive space, enterprise VR software. We've created environments and vehicles and uh, allowed people to use VR as an immersive training tool for driving uh, training. Uh, we are initially in the military law enforcement market. And uh, we'll be expanding into trucking and delivery drivers and people who drive for a living primarily. And before we talk about this and go into some detail on it, you were actually racing cars professionally for many years. Yes. Uh, in fact, VR Motion kind of blends my two passions, which is cars, driving, and, and technology. So I had about an 18-year career in professional car racing, um, preceded by lots of amateur racing, starting in karting when I was nine years old. Uh, I retired in 1998 from uh, a career in indie cars, primarily sports cars. I did some touring cars. I did some NASCAR. And, um, but I had a bucket list of races I wanted to do, including Pikes Peak Hill Climb. And that's how I met my co-founder, Keith Marr. He built a simulation for me, and I, and I was able to practice. And for people that aren't familiar with the Pikes Peak Hill Climb, could you I, describe it? Sure. It's an unbelievable, it's crazy. terrifying event. Yeah, it's 156 corners up 12 and a half miles uh, between 9,000 and 14,500 feet just outside of Colorado Springs in Colorado. Very few guardrails, lots of long drops. And so if you miss a corner, it can be uh, And there's some spectacular YouTube footage of cars that have exited the road, the yes. Pikes Peak Hill Climb towards the top, right? Where you basically, you go off the cliff and you're like, you're going for hundreds and hundreds of feet As I like to say, you before say, you barrel roll. You could say at least two Hail Marys before you hit. So when you think about something like that, you think about some of these driving experiences or racing experiences, or if you think about, you were talking about the police, you're doing a high-speed chase for the first time. How do you plan for that? How do you actually plan for the Pikes Peak Hill Climb? Well, what I did is uh, I practiced on the simulator that we built, and I was able to really learn the corners, learn where I could go fast and where I couldn't go fast, because a lot of these corners, they look the same, but some are faster and some are slow, and you don't want to get it wrong. If you get it wrong one way, you're just slow, and if you get it wrong the other way, you're, you're off that cliff. So for police training and things, we can put people in environments that you would be too dangerous uh, or too difficult to put them in the real world, and we can allow them to practice over and over in a very safe uh, environment. So it sounds like some of it is from your personal experience it really, racing. Yes, it really is. And, and so that's why I said it's kind of a perfect blend. Uh, you know, my background allows me to kind of be the chief test driver of all of our driving experiences. And, uh, we, you know, we work hard on the physics to make it feel not only immersive and real, but also uh, feel like a car. So you really feel like you're driving a, a real car, not sitting in a simulator. So 
your professional career in racing was in one of the more dangerous times, as I understand it. Were you ever involved in any accidents or incidents? Oh, of course. Anybody of course. who has an 18-year career <laughs> in racing has accidents, yeah. Okay. But the good news is I can still walk and talk. And, do you, and do you have think. a favorite accident that you had? I don't think there's such a thing there is as no a favorite, favorite accident. Yeah, I've had my worst accident, I can tell you about. But, uh, no, I hit the wall at Indy a couple times at over 200 miles an hour. Uh, broke my right leg, my left ankle. Got a couple little concussions. But uh, beyond that, I was extremely lucky in my career how, to not have a bad one. How, how does that work exactly? So you're driving, you're racing it, in, 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 and this is at the Indianapolis 500? Yes. What, what went wrong? Like, well, at what moment were you like... Something is not what I hoped it would be. Typically, it involves either traffic. Uh, you Air comes from another car, t- takes the grip away from your car. You touch somebody else. I had one accident where a guy just came down to me. We touched wheels. And once you touch wheels at that speed, all bets are off. And we both just went up and hit the wall pretty hard and destroyed the car. Another time we came in the pits, I was just looking for that extra little bit of speed. And we made a change. And the change made the car dig in. And uh, I just lost control and spun out and hit the wall. So where, do, where did your love of racing come from? My dad. Uh, my dad was an amateur racer. He used to bring me to the, out to the track when I was a little kid. And I just, the, it's intoxicating. The smell, the sounds, uh, you know, meeting uh, the drivers. Like was Mark. this before karting? You mentioned you were karting when you were seven, yes, I think. Yes, I was probably six, seven years old when I started going out to the racetrack. And, you know, if he brought me to a baseball game or a football game, I may have fallen in love with something else. But it was the racing I was exposed to. And it just kind of gets in your veins. And it doesn't ever go away. And did you say he was racing? He, he, was, uh, he was a turn worker, and he did autocross. So he did kind of low-level amateur stuff. Uh, he, was, he had a full-time engineering job in a family, and it was tough for him to go racing. So would he take you into the booths where they wave the flags, like the yellow flags at the corners to keep people from getting hurt? Well, it's funny. In those days, he would let me just roam the infield by myself in those days because it was captive. You couldn't, you, I couldn't leave. So he could see me, and, I, and I'd just stay there all day while he was racing, and we'd meet for lunch and meet at the end of the day. Would think, you ever stand in the booth with him? No, they wouldn't allow me to do that because of my age. You gotta, I think you have to be 18 to do that. But we used to roam the pits together after the races or during lunchtime. And, you know, in, in those days, it was very casual. You could walk right up to Mario Andretti and say hello and have a conversation. And now you can't do that. And did you just start to get excited about it? And then your dad got you into the carts so you could start to race the carts? That's right. We, I lived in Capitol Hill. And we used to have the alleyways behind our house. And we bought a little go-kart. And we'd just run up and down the alleyways and... We didn't have helmets or leather jackets. What do you need helmets for? Yeah, no seatbelts, none of that stuff. No, no, life was cheaper then, I guess. But it just, it just evolved into racing, and I just got the passion for that competition. And, you know, you, you, you want to excel and you want to do, do better and, and beat, beat the other guy. So it, it seems like a lot of people that have raced get into the side of instruction mm-hmm. for racing. And I believe, were you at Bob Bondurant's school? Yes, I started there as a police driving instructor, of all things, when I was about 21 years old, and did that for a year or two, and then went on to their advanced race car driving instruction, and that lead me, led me to a, a career of racing, because you meet people, and you get connected, and you start oh, so going out to the, the races. Oh, so it was the racing school before that? Yes. Well, I was doing some amateur racing, and then I took this job as a driving instructor, and kept racing during the time, but that was really what launched my professional career. How do they teach somebody to be a racing instructor? Well, you have to have some skills, obviously. But then so you actually the, have to know how to do it. You have to know how to do it. But then, actually, you know, part of it is teaching. Uh, you know, some people can do and some people can teach. And so part of it is learning how to parlay that into uh, a conversation and look for skills. And also being able to ride with somebody is a skill in and of itself. 
uh, or because it can. And be this a is terrifying. what people call right hand, you know, riding in the right hand seat, right? So you That's have right. somebody who's driving the car, yep, and you're getting in the car with them. And sometimes these are street cars, right? Yes. yes. So you, you you don't have a harness on. You don't have a fire suit. You actually have just a three-point seatbelt, seat and, and a you're helmet. considering when do you reach over right. to actually help him with the steering wheel. Well, I had to do that quite a bit. You reach over, you grab the wheel. I've actually had to you know, let people know physically that they needed to slow the car down now. <laughs> uh, I've had people crash you know, while I was a passenger. Not bad, but you know, bad enough to know that uh, it, it, things can go wrong. Which track were you at? We used to teach at a track called Sonoma Raceways. Uh, it was called Sears Point in those oh, days sure. down in Sonoma, California. Oh, that's a track that eats cars. It is. A track it actually has cars. walls everywhere, and it's just a flowing track. There aren't really that many straightaways Not there. Not really at all. No, it's a very challenging track. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we've done that, and I've done some instruction elsewhere. But it, it's kind of led me to now, you know, be uh, obsessed about driver training. I've got two teenagers that just learned to drive. My co-founder's got younger ones that are going to learn how to drive. So we have a passion for this idea of doing something well and, and learning how to do it because I think the standards, in, particularly in the U.S., for drivers, have, uh, it's not what it should be. So if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Conybeer, broadcasting from the Toyota booth at CES 2018 in Las Vegas. My guest this hour is Dominic Dobson. He's a former professional racing driver and founder of VR Motion. So getting into VR Motion and what you're doing today. Could you describe the product in more detail? Sure. So we have a uh, the motion base that you sit in with a seat that moves. We have pedals that feel like real pedals, and you have a steering wheel that gives you feedback through the wheel, both vibration and sound. We're in a complete headset. We're agnostic. Um, our current setup at the Intel booth is using the Samsung Mixed VR. Uh, or mixed MR, uh, mixed reality headset, but we can use any of the uh, modern headsets now. And what we put you in is a very immersive, realistic environment, and, and then we create a scenario. It's uh, Our particular one here is a little short training. Uh, a scenario. A like scenario. what type of scenario? What's a scenario? Well, you, you start off and you do just a braking exercise to kind of get used to the VR. And then we have a lane change where you start driving and we'll say left or right. And you have to pick a lane and drive through there safely without hitting pylons, the orange cones. And then the last one is the most challenging. You have to do a figure eight or a, a, excuse me, a slalom through the cones. And we grade you through the whole experience, both on your time, your accuracy, and your braking, and uh, whether you hit any cones or not. So and it sounds so a lot a like score. a driving school. It's exactly like a short three-minute driving school exercise, yes. Can you teach people to drift a car in this? Well, interestingly enough, when I started with uh, my co-founder, he was teaching people how to drive race cars. That was all what he did. And we backed away from racing because of the size of the market and decided that there are a lot more police and a lot more military people that need to learn how to drive than there are race car drivers in the country. But absolutely, we can teach understeer, oversteer, car control. So when you talk about teaching police or teaching military how to drive vehicles, what types of vehicles are you teaching them to drive and what scenarios do you have there? So we replicate the cars that they drive, whether it's a Dodge Charger Cruiser, it could be a Humvee for the military, a pickup truck, uh, Ford Explorer, whatever, they, whatever they're using. And then we create scenarios that uh, duplicate what they're doing in the real world. It could be an urban, it could be suburban, it could be a test track, or it could be a rural environment where you've got cattle and horses and dogs and kids and everything else as, you know, kind of AI objects that come into the scene. But these could be tactical environments, right, where you're 
chasing somebody or you're running away from something. Yes, absolutely. You know, a lot of officers that get into a, a chase, the first time they ever do it is in the real world. And uh, un- unfortunately, many of them just aren't adequately trained to do that because they've never done it before. So we can create a chase scenario. We can create what they call pit maneuvers where they're actually using the car to spin somebody out and give them a chance to practice that over and over with zero risk and very low cost. So for a police department or for the military that wants to buy something from VR Motion, what do they need to do? Well, they just need to contact us. Uh, we have a uh, partner now that we use called Skidcar Systems, and they have been selling uh, curriculum and hardware to law enforcement and military for about 30 years. So we've actually been incorporated into their curriculum, and so uh, it's, it's kind of a whole package. Um, so they can... Uh, they almost integrate everything, integrate your software, integrate the different pieces. That's correct, yeah. So we're adding that VR system into their training program, and it's part of a, the, typically a larger package. So coming back to the creation of VR Motion, how did you meet your co-founder and how did the, the company itself come together? Well, oddly enough, my co-founder had a company and he was doing a race car driver training. He built some simulators for a museum called World of Speed in Portland, Oregon. I went to visit the museum. I tried the sims out and I'd driven a lot of driving sims and typically they kind of made me nauseous. I didn't think they were very good. Drove his, was quite impressed, got to meet him. And I asked him, hey, I'm getting ready to do Pike's Peak. Can you build a simulator? Because in Pikes Peak, you only get uh, a little bit of practice is really all. So I did 22 runs up the mountain. He predicted a lap time of 10 minutes, 25 seconds. In the real race, I did 10 minutes, 15 seconds, won my class, got rookie of the year. And I was so impressed. Thanks to the simulator. I think a lot, to a large extent, I really uh, you know, credited my success to the sim. So I called him up literally from the top of the mountain. I was so excited and said, you're on to something here. Uh, and let's talk. And a year later, we formed the company and, and started building these uh, simulators for uh, you know, automotive training uh, exercises. And uh, the other thing we do is we build test drives for automotive OEMs. So, for example, we did a test drive program at a car show last year where the car didn't arrive on time. So we built a simulator and allowed people to get in a virtual environment and take a test drive in the car. Very realistic feeling test drive. So between when you first uh, tried the demo... Mm-hmm. And then you started, I think you said there was a year in there. Yes. What happened in that time frame? Like, what discussions did you have? Were you thinking about quitting racing? How, how did that unfold? Well, interestingly, I'd already quit racing. And so I was just kind of, you know, Pikes Peak was one of my bucket list races. I did, I did, bon- I did excuse me, uh, Baja 1000. I did Pikes Peak. And I want to do Bonneville. I want to go 300 miles an hour someday. And we'll build a simulator for that. But um, my real passion was, you know, business and technology. I've been an entrepreneur all my life and was kind of casting about for something to do. And so that year was just really talking about how are we going to form this? What are we going to do? What markets are we going to go after? You've been an entrepreneur. You know what it's like. You you talk a lot before you pull the trigger. And so that's what we did. So Uh, getting to know each other better as much as anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just met him the year before. Uh, He's solid. He's got 22-year career R&D in Intel. Took an early retirement, so he's really the technology side, and I'm more of the operations and, and uh, sales side marketing. And where's the company based? We're built uh, based in Hillsborough, Oregon. We're directly across the street from the Jones Farm campus uh, for Intel. Intel is our go-to-market partner, our, our software partner, so they've been terrific in terms of supporting. They've got a big VR initiative, as you know, and so uh, they allowed us, they invited us into their booth, and we're giving demos over there uh, in their booth uh, of our actual uh, simulation. So as you start to look forward with VR Motion, you have the demos that people can see over in the 
the Intel booth today. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to go with the company? What's the vision? The, the vision really is to grow into these markets, uh, get a beachhead in the military law enforcement market, get uh, enough systems in place that we've got a revenue stream. And then from there, we've been getting tons of inquiries from the trucking industry, the delivery business. There's over uh, three and a half million drivers, truck drivers in this country. And, you know, uh, the other side of it that we've been getting, interestingly, a lot of interest from is the autonomous cars. Because there's a, there's a period of time where drivers who, like myself, have been driving for many years, you almost have to teach them to not drive, to let go. Because uh, if you've been in an autonomous car and you're like, oh, it's kind of an odd feeling at first. If you're a new driver and you don't know any better, it's an easy transition. But if you've been driving a long time, that feeling of control is one that doesn't always let go easily. Sounds like it's when you were getting in the right seat for the first time when you were teaching people to drive. It's a little bit like that. Yes, it's a little bit like that. You know, it's funny with couples a lot of times. One always drives because the other one can't stand to drive and listen to the other one. And so there's kind of this dynamic about control or no, or no control. And, of course, there's the building of trust, too. Do you trust the technology? Do you trust the other drivers on the road? How does that feel? Um, you know, the automotive technology, if you look around here, it's progressing at such a rapid pace. But what's going to lag a little bit, we feel, is a societal acceptance of this. And, of course, legislative, insurance, there's other factors that are going to come into ultimately the widespread adoption of autonomous vehicles. Sounds like a lot of human factors, a lot of psychology. There really is. You know, driving is something that for a lot of people is a passion. I love to drive, but I don't like to commute. So I'm looking forward to the day where I can sit like the Toyota demo here. I can just sit in the back and ride along, look at my laptop, look at my phone, do things other than sit in traffic and, uh, you know, worry about not hitting the car in front of me. So when you get in a car and somebody else is driving the car, at what moment do you feel relaxed? Uh, Does it ever happen for you because you're a professional race car driver? Or are there some people that drive that you're just so happy they're driving that you can just unplug and let go? Yeah, there's a certain small group that I'm, I'm very happy to just ride with at any time. But, you know, more and more, I'm probably getting more relaxed about that because, you know, you hop in an Uber, you hop in a taxi cab. You don't know the person from anybody. Anyways. You assume that they have some skills. But, um, you know, I've had some terrifying moments in, in, in Ubers and other things. And, but generally, I'm pretty relaxed because, you know, we're not out on a high-speed road, uh, you know, going at a speed that can really hurt you. So, so if you take that and then you start to extend it to autonomous vehicles mm-hmm. and you think about the psychology of how should an autonomous vehicle drive itself, what would be those trust-building things that you were talking about, building trust for the rider? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was just listening to on my way over here. I think there is a, a, a initial trust is understanding what the vehicle's doing. So being talked to by the vehicle would be helpful for me. I'm doing this. I'm switching I'm lanes. A, I'm turning left. Correct. Yes. I'm about to turn left instead of just doing it. So then I think over time when you build trust in the vehicle, you build trust in the software and the hardware and its ability and, of course, the AI involved in it, uh, you start to probably want to know less. You I know? guess it's kind of like when you get in a Las Vegas taxi cab at the airport and you're wondering, are they really saving me time or are they taking me for a ride so they can get in a few extra miles? Right. I mean, it's kind of a trust-building moment when you get in that cab. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, whether it's a, a human driving or whether it's a, a, a robot driving the car, uh, there has to be some trust there or, you know, you're not going to want to do it. So switching gears a tiny bit, other than your product, what are your favorite video games? 
You know, funny, I really don't play video games. Uh, I, I brought my son to uh, driving simulation uh, when he was about nine years old, and I, and I raced around the Indy 500 set of time. I thought I was pretty good. But then about three laps, he'd beaten my time. So I realized at that point, I was no good at video games. And forget a first-person shooter. Have you played Grand Theft Auto? I have, yeah. Okay, so GTA, I mean, you got to believe that that's kind of relevant to the things you're doing now. Well, it's relevant, but what we like to say, Rob, is that, you know, video game will give up reality for fun, for entertainment. And what we do is predict what people will do in the real world. I can watch someone drive our simulator, and I can tell you exactly what they're going to do out on the road. And there's some people that drive our simulator. I could say, I'll get in the car with that person. And there's some people that said, no way. If they show up and pick me up in an Uber, I'm not getting in. What do the people that you do want to get in the car with do? Confidence, um, you know, looking ahead, clearing their blind spots, being aware of what's, of what's going, going on, on yeah. around them. And also listening to instruction is, is amazingly, you know, we have a simple set of instructions, both audio and visual. And some people follow the guidelines and some people are completely, they just ignore them or they don't hear them. I'm not sure, but the, they don't follow instruction well. And so those people sometimes probably... Um, you know, have you ever been with somebody driving and they're paying attention to their GPS and they're getting lost despite the fact that they've got a big screen telling them where to go? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. They don't look up. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting when you think about this because when you're designing these autonomous vehicles going forward, the autonomous vehicle responding to the person that's riding in the car is going to be really important. And being able to take that feedback is going to be important. It'll be a, a similar type of thing. Well, what I'm looking forward to is a day where I can have my autonomous vehicle understand what I like and what I like to do and how I drive, and I can train it to drive the way I would drive. So, and maybe that's a little more aggressive than some, and maybe it's a little more cautious than some. But I want it to do what I want it to do, not what some programmer halfway around the world has told it to do. But it could be different than what you it might not be aggressive. So I've taken up amateur racing over the last couple of years. That's what I've And I found that the more that I do that, mm-hmm. the less interested I am in driving quickly on the highway. Yes. And my favorite car used to be an M3. Now it's actually my 2000 Toyota Land Cruiser because it's comfortable and I know I'm not going to spill my coffee because I'm not going to do anything that's that interesting on the highway anyways relative to racing. Well, you bring up a good point. You know, people always ask me, do you drive like a crazy man on the street? And the answer is no. My main objective when I'm going somewhere is to get there safely. You know, I have kids and, and, uh, you know, I typically will have passengers in a lot of cases and I want to get them there safely and I want to get them there in an efficient manner. doesn't mean I have to go fast, but maybe it means I take a little different route or, you know, I spend more time in the right lane. I found that, uh, especially driving around Portland and Seattle, if you, if you drive in the right lane, you'll get there quicker than in the left lane because everybody goes in the left lane and goes 55 miles an hour. So are you still racing now? I do a little bit. I dabble in historics. Uh, I do want to do Bonneville. That's kind of my last bucket list race. And, and then I'll probably hang it up from a professional standpoint. But I, I love cars. So uh, I think I heard you say 1,000 miles an hour. Three, fast, 300. 300. 300, yeah. Okay. I've gone right. 248 is the fastest I've ever gone in a car, but there's something about that magic 300 number. I'd like to beat that. So what do you have to do to do that? Well, you have to have a car capable of doing that. You have to go and get licensed, so you have to go to the Bonneville. The sad thing about Bonneville you is You need a special license? You do. Yes, you do. Yeah. Um, you don't just want anybody going 300 miles an hour because that's fast. And even though you're going straight, if you mess up, it's, it's a big crash. 
So what exactly, forgive me for this question, but what exactly is hard about going in a straight line at those speeds where there's nothing around? Like, what is the challenge, the difficulty? Is it just pure fear, or is there a technique that's involved? Well, on the surface, it's simple, right? You just go straight. Just go How straight. How hard can it be? Yeah. The reality is that the salt is very slippery. You don't have a lot of traction. Um, and that wind affects things. Aerodynamics have a huge effect at that speed. So it's really about tuning the car so that it wants to be stable. And if you put too much drag in the car, you don't go fast enough. And if you take enough drag away, the car becomes unstable. So it's really a matter of finding that balance. Oh, so it sounds like as much as anything, it's about when you're driving the car, giving feedback to the people setting up the car, information on how to set up the suspension and to do those things as much as it is driving technique. Well, it's data acquisition from the car that the engineers read, and then it's what you tell them as well. And if those two things are in sync, they'll be able to work with you. If they're out of sync, then it becomes a bigger challenge. When do you think you're going to hit 300 miles an hour? Well, I did Baja in 2005. I did Pikes Peak in 2015. So sometime between now and 2025, I think I need to get that done. Well, great. Well, Dominic, thank you so much for joining us today. You bet. Thanks for having me. And a pleasure. For, and for people that want to learn more about VR Motion, if they're here at the show, obviously they go over to the Intel booth. But where could they go online to find out more? They go to vrmotioncorp.com. And on Twitter, it's vrmcorp? Correct. Okay. And for people that want to learn more about you and what you've done in racing... Uh, Wikipedia's got a great page, or you uh, just simply go to my website, which is DobsonMotorsport.com. There's a okay. little bio on there. Great. Well, Dominic, thanks again. You bet. Thank you. So, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. To keep up with us, you can follow us on Twitter, at BizRadio111. I also blog regularly at 280.vc and tweet under the handle, at Rob Beer. I'd like to thank today's guests. We had Jim Adler from Toyota AI Ventures. Chris Heiser, a co-founder and CEO of Renovo. Jeff Joseph from the Consumer Technology Association. And once again, Dominic Dobson, the co-founder of VR Motion. Thanks also to our producers, Dana Cash and Michelle Stucker. And thank you for joining us for today's show. I'm Rob Conybeer, a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures. And you've been listening to our special edition of Launchpad. Broadcasting from CES on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Cirrus XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.